Welcome to Movie Maniacs. Mike Rags and Chuck Curry discussing the greatest movies of all time and all the new films in theaters and streaming that you need to know about. Like us, rate us, share us. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Rags and Chuck Curry. My name is Chuck Curry, alongside my uh, partner on this uh, on this uh, movie uh, podcast and radio show, Movie Maniacs. It's Kenny B and Chuck Curry. Uh, heard on Whoa Whoa Fort Wayne, Indiana, aired every Saturday night at midnight. And also, Ken, we are aired on. We are aired on Cool ninety eight point five FM in phoenixville pennsylvania but chuck i wanted to yeah. you know, one thing is we both of us listen to the show after we record it I, I go back i play it in the car and i wanted to correct an error and omission from last week and that was you and i were talking about movies that became tv shows and then you give a lot of examples of tv shows that became movies right. but i two two of them that bear mention because of um Movie to TV show one because we mentioned it when we did our disaster movies. Of course, is the recent Snowpiercer. But before that, you know, there was a there was a TV show where Matthau and Lemon were replaced by Klugman and Randall, and I think it was a pretty good movie to TV. The Yacht Couple. I, listen, that's a good debate because me and Mike have talked about this before. The movie. Uh, which was Jack Lemon and Walter Matthau. Now, two of my all-time favorites. Those guys are awesome. But that was a case where I really do believe that Jack Klugman and Tony Randall were even better in terms of Felix and Oscar on that TV show, which to me was an iconic piece of television. Uh, I, the show didn't run that long. I think it only ran a couple couple years, but every episode in that, in that TV show was classic. Uh, Matthew and Lemon, really good in the feature, but I got to tell you, I, if I had to pick, I would really pick which one is better. You put a gun on my head. I'm going to go with t- Tony Randall and, uh, and Jack Klugman is Oscar and Felix. What say you? Now, well, we didn't rehearse this, but I absolutely agree. I was scared to say that at first because I didn't want to start a fight. But yeah, I I, I found I found uh, the TV pairing, the, the casting to just be fantastic. I would agree. Now, on this uh, segment, we got a lot to uh, talk about in the next uh, hour on this program. Our highlight, uh, which will be featured in the second half of the show when we do a top 10 list, will be uh, our top 10 movies we recommend or some of our favorites. I could do probably 100 on this subject. Uh, Top 10 B-movies or low-budget films that are well worth seeing. And I got to tell you, Ken, some of my all-time favorite movies are lower-budget fair. Not the huge short-a-million-dollar popcorn movies, but movies made with a lot of heart, a lot of creativity, uh, and a lot of thought that went into produce something that has stood a reasonable assessment of what they call a test of time. So I think that should be fun. I want to start off with what's going on in theaters in general, box office news. Avatar Way of Water just passed it 2.0. Uh, dude, actually, $2.1 billion worldwide mark. I know uh, ticket sales are 3D and IMAX, uh, and it's getting all those screens, but still, that is an impressive number in just one month 
of release, Puss in Boots continues to do pretty well, breaking past the $110 million mark, $120 million mark here in the uh, the U.S. Some other releases of note here. Megan is now past uh, $82 million in four weeks of release, as I stated last week on the program. This is now a day-to-day, meaning it had a 17-day window. If you want to go on pay-per-view and spend $19.99 or $25 bucks to, uh, to buy it on digital, feel free to do so now this weekend in theaters is going to be interesting because you got uh, Knock at the Cabin, which is a M. Night Shyamalan movie, which is getting some polarizing reviews. Uh, it appears that there's a lot of people who dig it uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, a critical base. But there's also some people who have, have seem very frustrated with the way the movie ends, which is not surprising because M. Night Shyamalan is famous for his last act twist. Dave Bautista, former wrestler turned actor, best known probably for Dax the Destroyer and Guardians the Galaxy movies is getting really good notices for his performance in this film. In terms of tracking, it's tracking number one. It will unseat Avatar for the first time uh, in a month, a movie will. Uh, tracking around a $17 million opening weekend. Believe it or not, much to my surprise, uh, 84 Brady, uh, which stars uh, uh, Jane Fonda and Sally Field and uh, Lily Tomlin, Tomlin, I think Dolly Parton, uh, is tracking around $10 million opening weekend. They sneaked this movie last weekend in, 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 a, in a bunch of theaters, and they were reporting some sellouts, which means this movie actually could garner some interest. If you asked me a month ago, I would have said the premise seemed uh, pretty silly. Uh, I know I spoke to Mike about that on air, and he agreed uh, – what do you think? You, did you see the trailers? And you think this is going to have some uh, some, some uh, interest at, at, at theaters? Yeah. In fact, you and I we discussed this sitting there at the theater, but not on air when we were right. talking when we were looking forward to shows. I thought it would because of the people involved. And the funny thing is, it did that on a weekend when people were deciding to go see eighty for Brady rather than staying home and watching a six string quarterback play for San Francisco. So uh, Pro- pro- pretty good. Probably. I, 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 guess, you know, I wonder, it, I wonder yeah. too, whether it will get a even bigger bump now that TB12 has announced his retirement. Uh, and, and as we uh, taped this uh, program today, Tom Brady did, refi- did uh, apparently, I'd say 99.9%, this will hold, that he will retire. Uh, an amazing, tremendous career. I've been a Patriot fan most of my life. So uh, I was too, too huge Tom Brady fan. Great for the sport. Classy guy. Uh, wish him nothing but the best of luck. Some, some interesting, uh, before we get to movie news, I just want to point out that Cindy Williams, uh, uh, who is uh, Shirley Feeney on Laverne and Shirley, hit sitcom back in the late 70s and 80s on ABC, passed away at the age of uh, 75. Uh, first, uh, probably saw her in the movie American Graffiti. She had a part in the uh, Francis Ford Coppola movie, The Conversation. I thought her chemistry with Penny Marshall on Laverne and Shirley was uh, simply awesome. Um, rest in peace. Cindy Williams, you have thoughts on that one, Ken? Uh, yeah, I, I had the pleasure of seeing her and Eddie Mecca, believe it or not, doing love letters uh, once on on stage. Uh, she was always oh, okay. my she was always my favorite of the two, and uh, it's amazing that she and and Ron Howard were both in American Graffiti, and yes. it, it then morphed into Happy Days, which morphed into Laverne and Shirley. Well, I'm going to give you a true. I'm going to give you a throw a trivia question at you. There was a there was a show before Happy Days aired, and I agree with you. I think the, the heavy influence of Happy Days clearly was American Graffiti. But ABC used to air a show that did, I think, fifteen minute segments, and they brought 
on uh, Ron Howard, Tom Bosley, and they did a segment which would morph into Happy Days. Do you remember what that show was? And that had to be something like Love American Style or one of those yes, things. It, yeah. was, it was Love America. It was. We're really going back now, but yes, it was Love American Style, and I guess the chemistry was good enough where they spun that into uh, Happy Days. And as we stated last week, because it was the anniversary of Laverne and Shirley airing, I think it was its uh, 40-something anniversary when it first premiered on ABC, Happy Days spun off uh, Laverne and Shirley. It also spun off uh, Joni Loves Chachi. That was not a very good uh, show. It also spun off Happy Days, a show, if you remember this, Blansky's Beauties uh, was spun off Happy Days. That was a very popular trend uh back then but uh laverne and shirley certainly stuck as one of the premier sitcoms back in the uh in the day absolutely okay uh some birthdays of interest we'll bounce into before we go into some general movie news uh i know me and mike have done a whole uh archive show on the career of gene hackman but gene hackman this week can uh turned 93 years old. His last film uh, was Welcome to uh, Moose, Mooseport, which um, is almost, tw- I think, around 20 years old. So Gene Hackman has been not in feature films for 20 years old. I mean, obviously, here's a guy who won two Oscars, one for Popeye Doyle and A French Connection. The other was uh, for Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven when he played uh, the villain. Some other memorable Gene Hackman movies, which are basically all of them, but The Poseidon Adventure, obviously, from 72, which is my all-time favorite film. Crimson Tide, Going Mano Imano with Denzel Washington. I, I thought a-, a throwaway movie like The Replacement he elevates that to a much higher level uh, opposite Keanu Reeves as, as the football coach. Uh, Mississippi Burning, what a great performance. They don't make movies like Mississippi Burning any more. Uh, and obviously Hoosiers, which is my, one of my all-time favorite movies. I watch that movie, believe it or not, Ken, like once a month. I find that movie very inspiring and motivational. And, uh, you know, there's, Tom Brady is interesting because we stated you know, Tom Brady, who's known as the GOAT, the greatest of all time in football. Um, I don't know if that's 100% accurate because I don't think there's one player who is ultimately the greatest. Maybe Michael Jordan was in basketball. But I got to say, Gene Hackman would be right there being the GOAT of all time of actors in the history of motion pictures. Your thoughts on Gene Hackman? I, might, I, I agree with you. He's a very good actor. I might not make him the, the greatest. But the other thing is that our listeners uh, in Indiana, of course, will always have a special place for Hoosiers because that everybody, every team plays in the state championship, which I think is, has been changed now. Uh, okay. The, 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 um, it was crazy. And in fact, for the championships, you played in the, cha- the final four teams played Saturday morning, Saturday evening. I can remember when little Plymouth, Indiana did the same thing as we see in that movie. And uh, it's, it's very real, very real indeed. But the greatest football player of all time played football in the state of Indiana at the University of Notre Dame, and his name was Joe Montana. He's never lost a Super Bowl. Thank you. Uh, that is an accurate uh, fact. Four for four, I believe, correct? Correct. Okay. I just want to point out Gene Hackman, also great as Lex Luthor in uh, Superman. Here's why I, I love Gene Hackman, because when he when he speaks – you listen. There's something about his line line delivery. I mean, Charlton Heston had sort of the same sort of majestic uh, attribute 
But there's just something about Gene Hackman I find very special. Also, a movie called Quick and the Dead with Sam Raimi, uh, Sharon Stone. So I, I love him in the uh, Quick and the Dead. Some other interesting birthdays real go through real quickly. Um, Billy um, Billy Mummy uh, from Lost in Space fame. He was a kid, uh, turned 69 years old today. He also was the star of one of the classic all-time Twilight Zone episodes, It's a Good Life, where he played that sort of evil kid who wishes his, his, his neighbors into the cornfield. That is one of the iconic pieces of of, uh, of of television uh in the twilight zone ever it originally aired november 3rd 1961 you, do you have thoughts on that one i don't but i do have thoughts on danger will robinson danger will robinson yes yes i i, I was a big fan of uh that show erwin allen who uh, wound up being the master of disaster with the poseidon Adventure italian inferno swarm uh, and so forth produced uh Lost in space. Here's one because you do some stand-up comedy, do you not? I do indeed. Paulie Shore turns 55 years old on February first, uh, 1968. Uh, he did a movie called Son-in-Law. Actually, it was pretty decent. I remember going to a theater to see In the Army. Now, I, I got to be honest. I I sort of laughed. Encino Man is r- ridiculous, but sort of entertaining. Uh, he sort of works in the vein of Adam Sandler. I put Adam Sandler at a higher plateau, obviously, but I don't know. Paulie Shore. He had a run in the 90s, uh, sort of a goofball, interesting persona that uh, actually had some box office success in the 1990s. Thoughts on Paulie Shore? I, I actually enjoyed him, and I think that was back when we actually wrote good comedies. And when you ask me if I've seen anything lately, I'll tell you about a bad comedy. So do you like you? So you like Paulie Shore? I like Paulie Shore. Yes. Yeah, he was okay. Uh, Michael C. Hall, who played uh, infamous for playing Dexter. Uh, a show which ran from 2006 to 2013. To me, one of the greatest shows, uh, for for me, one of my all-time favorite shows, Dexter New Blood, which aired last year when they revived it. I loved it until the last episode, the last half hour went off the rails. I did not like what they did creatively with the Dexter character, but I would say there's only one actor who could play Dexter, that is Michael C. Hall. Having said that, I will guarantee you, Ken, eventually in the next, I say, give it five, Within five years, Dexter will become a theatrical big screen movie, and it will be recast. That's just my opinion. The property's just too good, and that character too good. Having said that, you're going to have a hard time finding somebody to play that character better than Michael C. Hall, which really – he really morphed into uh, – Dexter. Now, uh, th- these people have passed, but Farrah Fawcett was born this week, February 2nd, uh, 1947. She passed away. Actually, I remember the same day Michael Jackson passed away, Farrah Fawcett passed away. My, she got a lot of a lot of press, obviously, because she was big, uh, but Michael Jackson was enormous, and he really stole uh, that, that day, his, his passing. Uh, she was a good actress, Farrah Fawcett, uh, starred in the TV, TV movie called The Burning Dead, which really got her a lot of respect in the industry. She did a really good job in that film. Yeah, she and, it, and the thing is, that's a great juxtaposition to the bimbo uh, role, you know, in uh, yes. Charlie's Angels. But yeah, she actually could act. She very much could. And also this week, birthdays uh, who were passed uh, February 4th, uh, 1940, passed away in 2017, George A. Romero, the godfather 
of the zombie movie, that being Night of the Living Dead in 68, Dawn of the Dead in 78, uh, Day of the Dead in uh, 19... 19- 85 he did some other zombie movies after much much even for that time very low budget uh didn't translate as well but uh well land of the dead was good but i love the first three uh george a romero movies very interesting filmmaker did a movie called monkey shines which i like the original crazies which is a very interesting film uh george a romero ken what do you think again that that's not my kind of movie but uh very talented and of course you know, they are movies that we're still talking about today. Uh, some casting news. This is an interesting one. Michael Jackson's nephew, Jafar Jackson, announced as uh, the guy who will play his uh, his uncle, Michael Jackson, in the biopic directed by Anton Fugna, a really good director who did Training Day and the Equalizer movies and a whole bunch of stuff that's really good. This is going to be an interesting project. I'm assuming they went with him because he looks like Michael, and I guess it's the direction uh, they want to go get it, get somebody who looks like him who would be better than his own bloodline. Um, I still say, what is the script going to be? How hard-hitting will this story be? I think it's going to be hard-hitting enough, and I, I think they'll be honest about a lot of it, maybe not all of it, but uh, your thoughts on that? I think we briefly touched on this a few weeks ago. Yeah, I'm just uh, hoping that the fact that they were able to cast the family member does not mean that they're going to softball it because, you know, if you know, we, I guess we lived through uh, Elvis without, you know, showing any of his fetishes with uh, uh, his wife, which, okay, I, I can see that because, you know, it wasn't about him and Priscilla necessarily. But if they don't delve into some of the uh, dark stuff with Michael, it's going to be a pretty disappointing biopic. Yeah, I would agree. I think they almost have to because it is. What is? I mean, it just blew up so big in the last few years of his life. I don't see any other way to do it. This was an interesting story of note that has been pretty much been laid to rest. Actress named Andrea Rimberg. I got to be honest, not very familiar with her, but she did a movie called Two Leslie. And surprisingly, the day the Oscars were announced, she got nominated for Best Actress. Now, this film can made only $27 million, no, 27000 excuse me, now think about this, $27,000 at the box office, yet she got nominated for Best Actress because she had friends in the industry, she got the movie out to them, they watched it, they were blown away by her performance, and it was what they call one of the uh, most unusual grassroots campaign of all time because there was no money spent. Now, a normal, uh, a normal studio uh, marketing a performance to try to get an Oscar would be hundreds of thousands of dollars, at least probably a, probably in the range of two to three hundred thousand dollars minimum. This movie made twenty seven thousand total. There was no campaign whatsoever. Yet she got nominated. The Academy had stated they're going to look into it and investigate. I said initially when I heard it, "What's the investigation?" The bottom line is she did make a movie. She gave a performance. It's evidently really good. She has people that she knew got buzz out from different people that watched it in the industry that have voting credentials. They've nominated for Best Actress. And uh, they just announced, I believe, yesterday that uh, that uh, nomination will stand. I think it should. What do you think? Uh, I don't believe in the Oscars anymore. I think that there's a bunch of morons who come up with the nominations. They have to change the, the process. Um, I think this is almost as bad as uh, Shakespeare in Love. But, you know, once I saw the nominees and Tom Hanks wasn't nominated for Elvis, 
I don't yeah. care about the Oscars anymore because there's, there's certainly well, a politics say, going know, on. I, the only the only caveat I would say to my argument that okay, she should this should stand with no 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 consequence. Uh, maybe you should have okay, a movie has to make at least. Uh, a million dollars at the box office to get uh, el- eligibility to get nominated because under this pretense, me and you could have made a film, right? And then got it out to enough people who had voting credentials, and me and you could have got Oscar nominations. Yeah, maybe they ha- maybe cool they now. have to stop. Maybe they have to change who has voting credentials because I, I think the Oscar nominations are almost as bad as Scott Rowland making it into the Hall of Fame. But I I think we got to do something if if the, if the Oscars gonna have. If, if the Oscars can have any meaning, any meaning to them, they have to stop this silliness because there isn't a planet on which she deserves a nomination and Tom Hanks doesn't. But that's my rant for this year. Understood. Uh, here's uh, some TV news of interest. NBC has announced that uh, this will be the last season, 10th season of The Blacklist. With James Spader. James Spader is a, a, a terrific actor. Uh, they will have shot two over 200 episodes, a 10-year run, critical acclaim, still very popular. Um, listen, I'm a big fan. I think James Spader is awesome. Uh, I remember when he when he when he came on the practice TV show and then that morphed into Boston Legal, and then he got th- this show, which has been a tremendous success and a and a huge uh, caveat for his overall career. Were you a fan of the Blacklist? I was a huge fan, and you might recall it was going to be canceled after the fourth season, and so it's it's really it's really hung on there. And one thing that I don't understand, I someone these. You know, things on uh, the Internet where they talk about terrible casting and they had the, the and I can't remember her first name. Her last name's Bone, the, uh, the, the female lead in the show. I thought okay. the, I thought those two were great together. But I'll admit what one thing about James Spader is he is one of my favorite actors because he can play everything with the sarcasm that you can't believe. Oh, yeah. He uses that, that sarcasm. No, nobody, he's, he's, he's really good. Nobody else could have uh, played that role. Uh, I would, uh, I would agree. Uh, some other, some other, uh, news of interest, uh, James Gunn, uh, who leads, uh, now he's a director of Guardians of the Galaxy movies, very respected, uh, talented guy who's leading DC, uh, DC superhero movie division came out as, as expected and gave a plan for the future of where the DC, uh, superhero characters will be. He stated that the new, newest Superman movie, which he is writing now. And some people hoping that he will direct will come out, uh, July 11, 2025. Henry Cavill, as we announced, oh, as they announced weeks ago, will not be Superman. They're going in a younger direction now they also announced that matt reeves the batman 2 which will be something separate from the dcu i'll explain that in a second will also come out october 2025 robert pattinson will be back as batman once again in that standalone universe but here's what i found pretty interesting they did announce that they will also cast another batman in the DCU universe, meaning that this Batman can uh, be in films with other superheroes, uh, which will ultimately reemerge eventually, the Justice League, once again. But they're going to go with the storyline of Bruce Wayne 
uh, connecting with this, his estranged, this is from the comic, his estranged son named Damian Wayne, who will become the new Robin. So they'll introduce Robin in this new film. And the way James Gunn described it, he used some really hardcore language, meaning this is not going to be like the Robin of the Joel Schumacher Batman Forever Batman and Robin movie. This will be a hardcore kick-ass Robin of the comics uh and and the thing about this is this will be in the comics. This is uh, Damian Wayne is the third Robin from uh, Dick Grayson was one, and then um, I forget the name. Uh, J- uh, Jason Todd was the other Robin. So this means that Batman really can't be that young in this movie. I got a gut feeling that Ben Affleck, who will not play Batman uh, in this universe anymore, but I think he's going to direct this movie because i know they want ben affleck to direct a superhero movie in this universe i think ben affleck ultimately will direct this movie uh they also announced that they're going to do a green lantern hbo max tv series uh and a swamp thing movie uh which you're hoping to get james mangold who just held the latest indiana jones movie and also made one of the greatest r-rated superhero movies ever which would be logan a movie that was awesome uh a serious wolverine movie which uh, starred you jackman um how long can this superhero trend go ken I, I I don't think, you know, at some point it's got to stop, and I think it's saturating. And all I can say is my favorite Robin was the one yeah. on How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> Here's the thing about, okay, now I am actually happy, this is just me, because I love Batman. Batman is, is my guy. Uh, I like the idea of letting uh, Matt Reeves do his own separate Batman thing, and then having another Batman, because you could do different things with with with, uh, with these, I personally look at to me. I see Batman in Gotham City. I don't see Batman with Robin in my world, in my mind. I don't. I, I think it's an interesting character for the comics, but uh, I don't. I'd rather Batman be a loner, uh, mentally psychotic, uh, screwed up individual who fights crime by himself. Doesn't need partners. That's just me. I, I agree, I agree it's, it's with you. It's an interesting you. way to go. You know? no, I, I agree with you because when I, I mean, you think of Robin in the old uh, Batman TV shows, and whenever I think of Robin, that's all I can think of now. And uh, yeah, I, I, I like, I really like the dark uh, Batman, and to have him, you know, reunite with his estranged son who becomes Robin. That adds a dynamic that I'm. I yeah, know I think it's, I think that's an interesting story. I, I think, uh, and again, you know, I respect James Gunn. The guy clearly knows, I believe, what he's doing. I think this is a, a story that they probably had their eye on that they feel can be uh, manufactured and cultivated into a really good uh, story on, in a feature. Uh, they get the right director, which I think could be Ben Affleck. I think this could be a really good uh, movie. Some other news of interest before we bounce into our uh, top. 10B in, in low-budget films that we recommend and that we like. Uh, Paramount Plus uh, is merging with Showtime. They're ready into the cost-cutting cost mode. They've cut a couple uh, shows on, on, on both these formats already. Um, I guess Showtime could not stand on its own two legs anymore. So Paramount Plus and Showtime merging. I think going forward, we're going to see a lot more of this stuff. What do you think? I think we are, and I think we're going to, like I said before, I think we're going to see a, an integration of streaming and movie theaters and all kind of uh, all kind of good things. Uh, here's a, here's a, the, 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 the thing, you know, because we've been 
beating this drum of streaming and we want to see people go back to the movies. But as unless I, I, I'm reading this wrong, at, this, at the present time as we speak, there's still, I believe, only one streaming network that's profitable, and that's Netflix. Uh, all these others are still considered – they're not exactly – they're not startups, but they're not uh, in a position to produce – Profit and, and and again, uh, nobody really in the industry knows how this is all going to play out when all is said and done. Let's give it another three to five years. Where the habit is, where the culture is, do people sit home and just stream more than going to the movies? Will the theatrical experience come back in a big way? I think the theatrical experience, from what I see, starting to come back a little bit more and more every week. And this summer season. I think there's some good, there's a good cluster, I think, of, of some good potential films. I know The Flash uh, over at Warner Brothers and James Gunn stated in that press conference that he says, and I believe him when he says it because I've heard good buzz off these test screenings, really good. He says it's one of the greatest superhero movies ever made. I think I'm going to predict uh, as of February 1st, 2023, that the Warner Brothers of Flash will be the biggest box office hit in 2023. This one's going to catch fire and do extremely well this uh, summer, Ken. I really do believe that. I, I hope you're right about that. Okay, so let's start uh, on, our, on our list, we, unless you have anything else on, yeah, on yeah, your I mind. Yeah, I do, because you know, I actually watched the movies this week, so I could, because you always ask me, first of all... Sure, okay, uh, What's uh, on, what did you see? Well, if you put together Eddie Murphy, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, uh, David Duchovny, Jonah Hill, Laura London, uh, Elliot Gould, and Rhea Perlman, and you have a complete stinker. That's called you people. Uh, it's derivative. It repeated. Uh, I mean, it's it's what's, uh, guess who's coming to dinner, uh, but without any uh, humor to it. I thought it was a terrible movie, and I thought it was another uh, bomb by uh, by Eddie Murphy. Uh, and the other one I saw was Young E, uh, a Korean film on Netflix, uh, which is about um, putting human mentality into androids, uh, fighting machines at first, uh, probably a little bit like your uh, doll movie. That one I'd actually tell people if you're on Netflix, watch it. But a friend of mine texted me and didn't know I had watched it, said that she had just wasted two hours of her life watching you people. And I said, well, I'm smarter. I turned it off after an hour. An absolute disappointment with that kind of cast. Wow. I got to tell you, for me, Eddie Murphy's one of these actors now. He's, he's taking the streaming paycheck and uh, coming to America to, you know, went basically straight to streaming on, on Amazon. He's doing Beverly Hills Cop Part 4. That's going to be a Netflix movie, although I have a feeling they're going to put that in theaters. But he's, he's doing a lot of stuff for the uh, for the streaming dollar. Eddie Murphy believes belongs, in my opinion, back on the uh, big screen. Okay, so here we go. Our top ten uh, favorites movies that we recommend that are low budget, B-movies, whatever you want to call it. Now, me and Mike have, have explored this territory, but since I'm doing the show with you, I want to get your opinion, your ideas on this. I think it's a really good topic, so I'm going to let you start 10 through uh, 6. Okay, number 11, because I told you yesterday, I was yeah. trying to think of okay. this movie. I could not think of it, and then the name Rod Taylor, I couldn't think of the Taylor, came to me. It's the movie Chucka. I saw it like 10 times on The Late Show. It's a very good Western, and it has Ernest Borgnine in it, uh, which is you know pretty good. It has the father from Lassie in it, uh, and it's got, got a good cast. It's a it's a good movie. 
Um, it's worth watching. It actually was like a million four to make, so it wasn't necessarily low, low budget at this time, but just one of those ones I kept watching, so I wanted to throw that in. My real number... I don't, I don't remember that one. Go ahead. My number 10. It came out in 1973. Richard Dreyfuss, Ron Howard, Cindy Williams, uh, Mackenzie Phillips, who I was in love with, Wolfman Jack, Harrison Ford, directed by George Lucas, and somehow they made American Graffiti for $750,000. I did not know that. It was that low budget. Okay. Uh, number, and it's a great movie, and of course it then gave birth to the whole rock and roll revival era and happy days and that kind of stuff. 1997, you know, you had a uh, man who needed to raise money for child support. So what better way to do it than become male strippers? And put on a show stripping, and you know what the link is going or the hook is going to be? We're going to go the full Monty, starred Tom Wilkinson, who I actually I absolutely love him in movies. Three and a half million dollar budget became a musical a few years later. That's the full Monty from 1997, and that got a lot of Oscar nominations. Was, Good pick. That number eight, you'll you won't disagree with this one, but it only cost. I was shocked to see it only cost 1.2 million dollars in 1992, despite. Although Quentin Tarantino had a lot of low-budget movies. Uh, also, he had Steve Buscemi, uh, Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth in it. Reservoir Dogs, great movie about a, a jewelry heist gone wrong and all the paranoia among the crew. And so uh, another one that I, I couldn't believe that it was actually one that I could put on the list because I didn't realize it was made for so little. Good pick. 1967, Sidney Poitier, Lulu. Patricia Rutledge, from, who was Hyacinth in the TV show Keeping Up Appearances, $640,000 budget to Sir With Love also became a top single for Lulu on the pop charts. So that's your 10 through 6. That, no, that, no that, was, that was 11 through 7, my number 6. Oh, uh, yeah, I lost my count. You know I do that. Understand, no, understand. Number 6, it cost $4 million, but we're in 2003, so $4 million's low budget. A, yeah, I agree. A faded movie star, young woman, cross paths in Tokyo, Bill Murray, Scarlett Johansson, Anna Ferris, lost in translation from 2003. Which really uh, uh, ignited, I think, Bill Murray is a more serious actor in the industry. That played prominence at, at the Oscars. And it goes to show you can make movies for not a ton of money and, and, and turn in good performances with good production values and have movies really do very well at the box office. Uh, good list, Ken. Here's my – I went a little bit of a different direction. Mine is more uh, – I would say uh, low budget, B-ish uh, type stuff. Here's my 10 through, 10 through 6. But my 10 through 1 is going to be bookended by movies directed by John Carpenter. And my number 10 is a movie called Assault on Precinct 13, which came out in 1976. This movie is low budget. It's exploitation, but it's highly effective. It's gritty. It's extremely well directed. Carpenter not only directed it, he wrote it, he edited it. Uh, the the Casting uh, Martin Strother, who played the, the cop to lead in that movie, uh, is really good. It has a tr really good story of gang members attacking a police station late at night. The 
concept is really good. They remade this uh, with Ethan Hawke in 2005, a movie that I really dug also. It's a good concept, and I love uh, Assault on Precinct 13 from 1976. I think they shot it for like $100,000, which is almost hard to believe. My number nine is this is a movie that uh, I still, if it's, if it's on TV or I'm going through YouTube and it's on – I have a good time with it, and it's The Last Man on Earth, which is the first movie based on I Am Legend, the Richard Matheson novel, which later became movies The Omega Man, and obviously the big-budget I Am Legend with Will Smith in 2007. But this 64 version, Last Man on Earth, with Vincent Price, very low-budget movie, shot in Rome, Italy, to save money. They shot it, and then they had to dub uh, a lot of the dialogue from the other actors because uh, the audio was was not good on its initial shoot. But it has atmosphere. I think it's the most faithful in terms of the ending to what the novel represented, meaning the Neville character was really uh, the villain of the piece to the people he was trying to exterminate. So I like The Last Man on Earth a lot. My number eight, I went with a movie called Silent Rage, a Chuck Norris movie from 1982. Uh, Basically, after the Halloween movies, 78 and and 81, with Michael Myers, uh, these producers came up with a concept Let's take a character that's Michael Myers-like, a like indestructible killing machine, and have Chuck Norris battle him. The concept is is insane, but it's so much fun. I remember sitting in a theater with a decent crowd watching this movie, and they had a blast. It has a cult following, and uh, of all the Chuck Norris movies, which I like a lot of them, this is one of my favorites, Silent Rage from 82. Number seven, a movie called Class of 1984, uh, directed by a guy named Mark L. Lester, who did a really good job on this movie. Uh, Perry King starred as a teacher in an inner city who has to deal with a brilliant but psychotic uh, student played by Timothy Van Patten, who wound up being one of the writers on The Sopranos. His performance, Timothy Van Patten in Class of 84, to me, is really awesome. I like uh, Perry King a lot in this movie. Roddy McDowell's also in this movie. And Michael J. Fox has a very small part. Low-budget film that got good notices. It is violent, but a good film. So Class of 84, my number seven. And number six, I went with a Wes Craven movie that's somewhat forgotten called Deadly Friend that plays out like E.T., turns into a horror movie. The first half hour feels like a Disney film, and then it turns into a horror film. Uh, an actor named uh, Matthew Lepletif, who is uh, one of the kid stars on Little House on the Prairie, he's really likable in this film. Christy Swanson played his next-door neighbor, who's very likable, has an abusive father, winds up getting killed. He puts a robot chip in her in her brain. She goes on a killing spree, only against people you don't like, Ken, so relax. But uh, <laughs> Delhi, Fr- Delhi Friend, uh, despite its flaws, I do enjoy that movie. And, you know, I don't have any of those on my list, so so far we don't have I any overlap. <laughs> Now, this this one, by definition, is a B movie because it has an A and a C. It's an Abbott and Costello movie. It's a perfect movie for, I'm going to spread this, I'm going to stretch this out, see if Chuck guesses it. Perfect movie for Washington's birthday. Um, it stars Abbott and Costello and also Marjorie Reynolds, who was the blonde in uh, Holiday Inn. Uh, Costello and Reynolds are haunting a mansion in the, in the current day uh, where they were they were branded as traitors shot and they were you know went down a, a well and died 
Um, they were uh, they were misbranded as traitors, and they're trying to the rev- to the revolutionary cause. They're trying to clear themselves with a letter from George Washington that's in an old clock. Um, Abbott plays a psychology a psychiatrist. Who and the funny thing is, they are not on the screen that much. The two of them, Abbott and Costello, they actually played you know separate roles and really were not didn't share much screen time. It cost eight hundred thirty thousand dollars, which was the highest expense Abbott and Costello <laughs> film to its uh, to its time. But it was from nineteen forty six. I saw it the first time. It was a Washington's birthday special in the afternoon movie, the Sunday matinee. Really? Okay, so you saw it in the theater? No, on on television. Okay. Now, how are you introducing it? Came, it, came, it came out in 1946. I know, but they used to listen when I was. Oh, that's a kid, right. right. That's right. Yeah. When I was a kid. I actually went to the theater to see a few Marx Brothers movies because they re-released them. Uh, and, and the one, what was the Marx Brothers movie when they were playing in the football game? I remember that. Ducks, uh, it was a duck soup. I know I saw duck soup in the theater, uh, but I've done, I've actually done revivals of Abbott and Costello, me, Frankenstein. I had a hundred people actually show up to the Pocono cinema and watch. I, I, I grew up on Abbott and Costello. Uh, and Mike talks about this all the time. WPIX channel 11, uh, uh, right when I used to come home as a kid from church, uh, you'd have Abbott and Costello, 11.30. They would air each one of their movies each week, 90 minutes, 11.30 to 1, and then and I put on the football game as a kid. Uh, great memories, Ken. And, and the title of the movie, because I hadn't given it, is The Times of Their Lives. Yeah, okay. I, I, I do remember that pretty well. That's my number five. Okay, good pick. My number five. Okay, I'm going back. This is again a low budget, low budget roots. 1974. There's a movie called Food of the Gods, right? And it's based on an H.G. Well novel, and it's about a Marjorie Gardner, uh, who was in the movie Earthquake. He played the, the the crazy military guy in Earthquake. He just he's really good in this movie as the hero lead, right? He plays a football player that goes to this remote island on vacation and. These b- bugs and then rats uh, mysteriously become very big. And uh, there's this food, which is the title, Food of the Gods, that they eat and it makes them grow. And it's the greatest giant rat movie <laughs> ever produced. It's just a really entertaining movie. I remember sitting in a theater. I think I saw this three times in a movie theater when I was a little kid. And I loved it. And I still I watched this last year. You could stream it on a lot of the free horror streaming services. It's on like eight of them. And it's a very entertaining movie. It's well done for what it is, for what it is. Uh, and I love it. And it's a very low-budget movie. But it, it made a couple bucks when it played in theaters in the 70s. And uh, I like it a lot. So Food of the Gods is my number five. You're going much lower budget than I am. I, I am. And if you listen, <laughs> you, you got it. Look, if you've never seen a giant rat movie in your life, Ken, Food of the Gods, that's the one for you. Those are the kind of movies that used to be on Dialing for Dollars in the afternoon on, <laughs> on the local uh, ABC affiliate. My Okay, this was $1.2 million, and by definition, all of the spaghetti westerns were B movies or C or D or Z movies. But this one, Clint Eastwood... Eli Wallach, Lee Van Cleef, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. Very low-budget movie, but you know what? It is really, it, it's still in popular culture. I mean, there's so, so many times people will use that that to describe people, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Great movie, great, you know, I love those old spaghetti westerns because they were 
mostly terribly acted, uh, and almost all of them had Clint Eastwood in them. But I, I really liked The Good, Bad, and The Ugly. I love the theme from it. I, I agree. Good pick. And then Leave Lane Cliff, I tell you, I did a last weekend, I did a revival for our Spotlight series at the Pocono Cinema of Escape from New York. We had about 40 people show up. Good crowd, and it looked great on the on the big screen. And Lee Van Cleef is uh, one of the supporting actors, and the movie has a good amount of screen time. And he was an interesting, very interesting actor with a good screen presence, unique character actor. And uh, yeah, I was a big uh, fan. My number four, I went back to the fifties, and I, I'm going to pick The Blob because to, and I, during Halloween time, I was. Streaming, it was on HBO Max and at my ice cream parlor where people come in. I was watching this a lot. And I got to tell you, it was one of my favorite movies as a kid. And it still holds up for, for what it is, its budget. It works beautifully. I mean, from beginning, middle, end, I just love every frame of it. Steve McQueen, an unknown Stephen McQueen build in that movie, uh, was just great. I've just it's just aura about him as the lead in that movie. And when that blob is frozen at the end and then dropped into Alaska. Uh, I always said as a kid, boy, I hope he doesn't do Thor. But, uh, <laughs> very fat. Just for what they did in that movie, that's proof. You don't need uh, $200 million to make a movie that stands the test of time. And the blob is one of them. And then he remade it in 88, which I think is a fantastic, it's more big budget. Uh, didn't make a lot of money at the box office, Kevin Dillon, Shawnee Smith, but I love that movie too. But the original blob, for all its low-budget roots, is a very effective movie. And you will get zero argument from our entire listening audience for w, uh, for WXPM in Phoenixville, where the theater was seen was filmed. And at least the... Uh, Have you ever gone to the Blobathon there? The Blobfest. The Blobfest. Yes, in fact, I actually broadcast from the Blobfest oh, back cool. in 2011. But the... Uh, at least this is legend. I think it's true. I mean, the blob itself is a very small amount of blobness that they that they film. It's not a huge blob. And somebody uh, in, in Phoenixville, I think, still owns the blob. But, yeah, if people around Phoenixville, the blob fest is a great event. Still get a lot of people. Yes, it is. It's a wonderful theater. And, you know, it's uh, something that really, uh, I, you know, people in, in you know, my listening area just love that movie. My number three, I okay. didn't, I couldn't believe this only cost $1.2 million to make. It was released in 1975, and uh -huh. it really did lay a blob. And then all of a sudden, people discovered it and started going to see it at midnight. And then they started bringing props, and they started throwing rice. And it starred Tim, Tim Curry, Susan Sarandon, Barry Bostwick, and my favorite, because he did a great TV show when I was living in England, Richard O'Brien. And of course, that is the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which, you know, it, it somehow, it's one of those movies that just came out and it became part of a culture. And there were theaters, I know the theater in Whitehall, until it closed, I think, played that movie every uh, weekend. And of course, it's, it's still it's still in New York City. I do believe they still play it every weekend. Now, back in the day, 
like I stated on this program before, there were two midnight movies that were extremely popular. Rocky Horror Picture Show was one, and then, and then Dawn of the Dead from Santa Anita was the other. Now, Dawn of the Dead eventually petered out, but Rocky Horror Picture Show has stayed strong year after year, and there's still touring touring groups that do this live performances. We have one at the Pocono Cinema Suite, Transcendent uh, Dreams, I believe they're called, really good, uh, have a love for it. All volunteer actors who make no money to just tour uh, for the love of performance in this film but so you tell me what kind of people what kind of people go to this uh religiously and why is this movie stayed popular through generations well, tell me. I, I think first of all i think it's baby boomers that go to it religiously because yeah, they remember they remember it when they were younger and it stayed popular because yeah it's not a horror movie it's got it's a musical no. and it's funny and uh, it's just a it's a way for audience participation. The same reason why I agree. I think that's you, know, it. you know theaters do these sing along movies, and the same thing. Uh-huh. It became it became something that you dressed up for. You brought your toast, you brought your rice, and you went and you had fun. And I and I will say that I think this this song "Time Warp." Is one of the great audience participation songs of all time. It just, it just, it just sucks, sucks you in. Uh, it, that piece in that movie is extremely entertaining. My number three, I went with a movie called Miracle Mile from 1988 with Anthony Edwards and Mayor Winningham. I remember seeing this in the theater opening day. I, I saw the print ad in the paper. I think it was the New York Post, and it, on the print ad it said, "Be prepared to be blown to the back of the theater." It's a low budget. Basically, movie directed by a guy named Michael Jarapon, uh, who did a really good job about it. It's a story. Uh, it's an end of the world movie. I think I talked about this a few weeks ago, but it's a low budget B movie primarily about a guy who picks up a ring payphone by Anthony Edwards who met a girl that night, fell in love instantaneously with her. He's He has to go find her after he hears this guy on the phone say that nuclear weapons have been launched and heading toward Los Angeles. He doesn't know whether to believe the phone call or not, but he anticipates that it might be true. So this movie has really good pacing. It does stretch the rubber band a little of a, a plausibility uh, throughout, but it holds together. And the last half hour of this movie is really exciting and the set pieces that they did on the budget very nifty and effective i'm a big fan miracle mile my number three i couldn't find the uh the budget for my number two but it was filmed in 1958 and filmed in black and white so i'm guessing that maybe it wasn't the highest budget because in 58 most things were being filmed in color uh a true story of colonel william darby Star James Garner, Jack Warden, saw it probably a dozen times on uh, late night, on the late shows, on weekends, on television. I own a copy of it. I've read the book. Uh, it's uh-huh. Darby's Rangers, a great, a great war movie. And, uh, you know, James Garner played very well in it. I, they don't actually, they tell you about uh, Darby being recalled to the United States. They don't tell you that sadly... Right before the end of the war, he was killed. But he, Darby's Rangers, the true story of the forerunner of the Green Beret and now back to being the Rangers in the Army. But just a great war movie, love story in it and everything else. I highly recommend it for a you know, guilty pleasure. Sounds good. My number two, talk about a guilty pleasure. My old, what is, this would be right there of one of my all-time favorite guilty pleasures. 
and it's Death Wish 3 uh, from 1985. Now, Death Wish, the original, was a more serious movie that had a massive impact on uh, culturally, especially if you lived in New York City in 74. Death Wish 2 uh, was a really uh, high-octane exploitation film with a really graphic scene uh, that I thought was un- unnecessary. Having said that, I love Charles Bronson in this role. That's where Street comes out, and it's absurd, and but I love it. And it, it's the same concept. Bronson comes to New York uh, to, to help a friend. The friend gets killed. Uh, the street gangs all over the place. Martin Bolson uh, is, lives in this apartment house with him. All the characters in the apartment house, very likable. Bronson is cursy, saves the day. There's a scene in the movie, or a saying in the movie, where he keeps saying, don't worry, Willie's on the way. Willie's on the way. It turns out Willie... Is his uh, his his powerful powerful gun that he gets in the mail, and he mows down all these villains. Ed Lauder, who is the uh, who was in uh, the Longest Yard with Burt Reynolds, plays a cop who gives. Uh, the Kersey, uh, uh, Paul Kersey character, Cod Blanche, to clean up this neighborhood with no uh, cr- criminal prosecution, uh, basically turning a blind eye to what he's doing is his vigilanteism. It's absurd. Uh, it's over the top, but it's got Charles Bronson, and it's just B movie excitement to the extreme. Uh, I love me some Death Wish Street from '85, uh, Ken, my Ab- number two. Absolutely. Um- I, I grew up, my mother was a big fan of the Untouchables. I heard many times about this event. True story. Uh, yeah. The movie came out in 1967. It cost a million dollars to make. I can remember when it was in theaters. I, I was only 10, so I didn't actually see it in the theater. I've seen it okay. several times since then. Jason Robards, George Siegel, and it was the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. It's a good cast, yeah. It's a good movie. That was my number one. Okay, uh, my number one, as I said, I would book in Carpenter 10, now Carpenter, John Carpenter 1. They Live uh, from 1988. Here's why I, I like this movie. One, it's very thought-provoking. They shot it for like $5 million. Carpenter had a production company that released his lower-budget fare called Alive Films, which is now defunct. It also released Prince of Darkness, another John Carpenter movie with Donald Pleasance. I was a huge Roddy Piper fan. In the 80s, I uh, went to a lot of wrestling. Roddy Piper, to me, was my all-time favorite character in wrestling. He redefined theatrics in getting in front of a microphone and saying stuff that was highly entertaining. And Roddy Piper, along with Hulk Hogan, was the massive reason that wrestling exploded in the 1980s. So, uh, funny story, John Carpenter uh, evidently went to WrestleMania 3 when Roddy Piper wrestled, met him, and then Roddy Piper said, because he's tongue-in-cheek here, Roddy Piper said in interviews, when he met John Carpenter, John Carpenter said, Roddy, there's no real men left in Hollywood. I need you for my next movie. And he cast him as a character with no name. In the credits is Nada. He's never referred to by name. He plays a uh, transient, homeless person who discovers an alien invasion uh, where he puts on these sunglasses and he can see how society is controlled by basically big government, in this case, aliens. And it's very thought-provoking movie, shot on a budget for $5 million, has the longest fight sequence in the history of movies, him and Keith David in an alleyway. Uh, that goes on and on and on, but is really good. Roddy Piper is a good screen presence. 
really effective in this movie. And I love me some They Live from 1988. It has a huge co-following. I think it's going to be remade in the next few years, personally. But I love They Live, which was only shot for $5 million back in 88. And actually had the number one opening weekend at the box office back in the day. That's my number one. And that was that was the pull of the WWE or WWF at the time. One, one omission is yeah. we were going through this list and I say, boy, I put it, should have put it on here, was the original black and white non-musical version of The Little Shop of Horrors. So, okay. So you see, yeah. I don't always watch classy movies. I agree. Yeah, I did a revival of Little, Hop, Little Shop of Horrors. I watched it on the big screen a few years ago. I never seen it before. I got to be honest. And I was very entertained by the movie. When you when you watch Jack Nicholson in Little Shop of Horrors, the original, you say to yourself, "This guy's not going to work in this industry. <laughs> right. He's insanely, he's insanely over the top. You think they would they like shot him up with with adrenaline? Like he's just his performance is insanely over the top. Uh, and he 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 learned to to tow it back in and he had a pretty successful career. That Jack Nicholson, I'd say he, he did. Hey, great list, Chuck. A great show again. Uh, I had a lot of fun as always uh, before we leave I want to say thank you to our podcast uh, who listen to Movie Maniacs whoa whoa out of Fort Wayne Indiana always uh, want to say thank you for listening to us and also Ken Cool 98.5 in Phoenixville Pennsylvania always a pleasure Ken catch you next week alright thank you Chuck thanks for listening to Movie Maniacs download one of our archived episodes be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Podcasts by Federated Media.